So welcome to the Leathercraft Masterclass and in this episode of Followers Questions and Answers, I'm going to be answering the most burning questions from all my Instagram followers. Over the last day, I put out questions asking people to send in all the problems that they're having, all the questions that they want answered. And in this Q&A session, I boiled everything down to eight questions that were the most popular on Instagram and we're gonna answer them now live. So this is obviously pre-recorded for you guys on YouTube. You can also download this audio as a podcast. If you head to leathercraftmasterclass.com, check out the podcast and you can download an audio version for you busy, busy bees out there who'd rather be listening to this on the treadmill or whilst driving. So you have the option if you don't have the time to watch it all. But if you're here to watch it, welcome and thank you for joining me. What I'm going to do now is hit Instagram live and then we can take some live questions. If you're not on Instagram, you're missing a lot of quality fine leathercraft content. So hit me up on Instagram at Leathercraft Masterclass. Give me a follow and you'll be notified when I go live so you can join in the conversation if you wish. So let's go live on Instagram now and see if we have many people. We usually do. Checking connection, you are now live. So hello to people on Instagram and thank you for joining me. Right, so uh, loads of questions. Again, over a hundred questions on this one. So I couldn't put all of them up on stories, uh, but some of them are hilarious. You guys are really funny, but <laughs> you know who you are. But uh, I've boiled this down to eight questions, most of which were questions that were very frequently asked and quite different to the ones last week as well. A couple of business ones, most of them are based on Leathercraft and uh, Leathercraft. Okay, so let's dive right in because uh, last time we almost ran out of time. So the first question on today's live Q&A is, which to invest in first, good tools or good leather? which to invest in first, good tools or good leather? That's actually a very smart question. And what I like about that question is the word invest was used rather than which tool should I buy? Because to me, that's exactly how you should view uh, buying tools, buying leather. It should be viewed as more of an investment uh, into your time and efforts as you start growing. Because I'm assuming by that question, that uh, you're new to leather craft and you're wanting to start looking at what tools you need, what leather you need, uh, and things like that. Now, just to let you know that there is a free video available on my website. If you go to leathercraftmasterclass.com or if you're on YouTube watching this, because this is being recorded on YouTube as well, uh, I'll put the link below in the description. And for you guys on Instagram, if you head to my profile after this live, um, on the link in bio, if you click that, then at the top, there's a button, click on that and you'll get a free, I think it's 38 minute long video about how to select leather and a 20 page article highlighting exactly what tools you need depending on the stage in leather craft that you're at. So it very much depends on the individual and that's what that tool list was designed for. So you can identify who you are, where you are in your journey and then you can look at what tools you should uh, be looking to invest in. 
But I would say, in answer to that question, what should you invest in first, good tools or good leather? The answer is both. Because if you pick one or the other, you're either going to use the wrong tools or bad tools with good leather, or you're going to use the right tools and good tools with bad leather. So it's best not to compromise. The way to, to save if you're not looking to put too much into this because you're new and you want to make sure that this really is for you, then I would recommend buying the minimum amount of tools that do the job well. And then as time goes by, start adding more. And then if you're going to buy leather, I always, I, one of my biggest recommendations is vegetable tanned calf leather. If you're looking to get in fine leather craft, it's a very forgiving leather to use, very fine, very good quality in general, uh, easier to skive, great to stitch, great to edge finish, and it has a really nice tight grain, a good surface on it. So it's a great one to get involved in. And if you buy the classic colors like tan, natural finish, a dark brown or a black, or just start with a natural finish so that you can dye it whatever color you want, then I think that's a really great thing to do because you can make so many different products and then just dye them yourself afterwards. And that's a good way to save money, but you're still using great leather and you're still gonna have a great product with, uh, with the right techniques. Um, Blank slate bindery says, I cringe when I see, when I see cheap tools used on Shell Cordovan. <laughs> yeah. It's a slightly skewed investment there, spending more on the leather than the tools. Uh, someone says, what was the name? I'm not sure if I said a name of anything, apologies. Uh, RD Workshop says, join at the right time, so many answers the right way, thank you very much. Glad to hear it, thank you. Thanks for joining. Okay, so the answer to that is, is basically the designer Dieter Ram said it best, I think, excuse my German, but Wenniger aber besser, which means less but better. So one of the greatest design of all, designers of all time is essentially telling you how to buy tools. Buy less tools, but better tools, and then as time goes by, invest in, in more, as funds allow or your enjoyment continues. I mean, a lot of these tools, this is probably 10 to 20% of what I have. There's more on the walls over there, tons under the desks and in the other workshop. I didn't buy all this all at once. It didn't just, you know, I didn't just put down several grand to get it all. It was acquired over a period of time. So just remember that you know, might see some fantastic tool collections out there and people that have got the exact specific tool for every little different technique. That just doesn't happen overnight. It does take time to acquire. So be patient with yourself, but get really good with a few tools. Like the expression goes, beware of the man with just one gun. Because when you have that much experience, all of your experience into one, two or three different tools for different things, you can get really, really good at it. Uh, so you don't need a lot of tools. That's, uh, that's not true. Okay. Rampage Leatherwork says, I think King is asking what the name of the leather you recommended. All oh, right. Okay. I get you now. Um, just vegetable tanned calf leather. Okay, so calf skin uh, in vegetable tan. You can get it in chrome tan, retan, all that kind of thing. I think it's very good leather to get to, uh, to grips with, but vegetable tan is, I don't think it's a beginner's leather. Um, I just think it's more forgiving for beginners. So if someone's using veg tan, it doesn't mean, oh, that person's a beginner because they're not using more difficult, challenging leathers because I use veg tan for so much stuff, uh, probably more than chrome tan, but I think it's uh, a little bit more forgiving especially if you're learning to stitch, learning to skive, uh, chrome tan in general can be a bit of a pain. So, uh, 
sorry, my apologies. I just scrolled down. Uh, we're making leather camera straps from two to three millimeter thick leather. Is that fair or should we use thicker leather? Uh, unless you're... <laughs> Unless you're carrying around, I don't know, like a vintage Hasselblad. <laughs> Probably don't need that much size and strength for a camera. Uh, if, uh, if, if when you relax the camera, it barely bends, it's probably going to be too thick. I don't know. I, I, I generally prefer slightly thinner camera straps, but then again, I, I shoot with a mirrorless, so it's probably quite lightweight. It, it, it depends on so many things. The temper of the leather, how it bends, how it molds how it feels in your hand, the flexibility, etc. So it's very design dependent. Um, but if you're using several layers and padding, you want to be aware of using too much thickness. Uh, otherwise, it, it won't bend. I hope that helps to answer your question. Uh, URF from D Bunny says, uh, does Chrome Tan get good with edge finish? If yes, what is the best way to edge finish? In Chrome Tan, you've, you're basically, you're not limited, but there's two kind of cornerstones of edge finishing chrome tanned leather and that is number one is edge paint which is the most popular for that. Uh, edge paint was really created with chrome tanned leathers in mind. Number two which is probably my ultimate edge finish, uh, my favorite which is a, a traditional turned edge which is where the edge is skived thinner so that it can turn over on itself so the edge is actually part of the grain and then it's stitched through or stitched over into your lining with your lining sandwiched in between depending on how you want to do it. But um, those are the two main, uh, main things that you want to do with Chrome Tan. Okay, so the next question moving on is when should you purchase a hot foil machine? How do you determine the payoff? That's a good question. Um, a hot foil machine really is a, a luxury. If there is a luxury machine, you know, maybe a band knife splitter or a skiving machine could come under this category. But, you know, if there's a machine that could be considered a luxury good in your, in your workshop, a hot foil machine, because uh, quality does cost. Uh, I think there are a lot of Chinese brands out there that are much cheaper when it comes to uh, giving you a, a logo or if you want to stamp initials and things like that. But I mean, I've had uh, disastrous experiences with Chinese made hot foil machines. They are getting better and I predict they're going to get there one day, uh, but not yet. I think uh, some of the most famous brands, Kingsley, Howard, uh, Quick Print or what I use, which is the Metallic Elephant KSF Mini, uh, which I absolutely love. That's what I use, but I think you're going to be best served with a higher end model, which makes sense because you're asking when should you purchase a hot foil machine because it is a larger investment. Not everybody's going to have a kind of cash flow to then just dump, you know, one and a half, two grand or two and a half grand if you want, you know, all the, the, the type and your logo dies and everything like that. It can get quite expensive. So I, I think it's some, for someone who at least at minimum has a side business, which gets an income that can cover that. So, I mean, don't take this as gospel, but this is just kind of off my head. If you can, if you're selling your leather goods and in a month, your total profits after everything, net profit, uh, all your liabilities taken out, what you're left with, if that can cover a hot form machine, I think it's worth a month's wages in Leathercraft to get hold of because it can make a difference in the way your, your leather goods look, depending on the style that you're going for and your ability to initial and make a piece unique to one person, to one individual. 
that can help. Is it necessary? I don't think it is, but it is definitely an asset to have, but I don't think every beginner or intermediate person necessarily needs it. But if you are a brand and you're looking to go full-time with Leathercraft, I think you're definitely gonna need to have something that's gonna be able to initial your work or put your logo on there. So it just gives it that professional look, that professional finish. So even though you've got your stitching right or your edges perfect or the design is beautiful, um, you know, sometimes if you see a bag and the logo is missing on there, it's thinking that it's unusual to see that. So I think it's definitely an asset, but if you can cover the expense with uh, a month's worth of profit, then yes. If not, then no. I mean, if you haven't earned that from Leathercraft in the past year, I, I don't think it's for you yet. So it might take a while and, uh, and you'll get there eventually. So when does it determine? It depends on how much you're earning from your craft. Now, if you have disposable income, if you, you know, if you have a job and it pays well and you absolutely love the craft, you love Leathercraft, it's your escape. I mean, people spend, you know, I know friends who spent 20, 30, maybe even 50 grand on their cars and their trucks. And it's just absolute dumping cash on there because they love it. It's not earning them any money, it's a 100% liability. Then, you know, a couple of grand on a hot foil machine, if it makes you happy, get it. You know, life isn't particularly long. And uh, we always regret the things we didn't do, not the things we did do. So I think if it makes you happy, get it. If you're looking at things from a purely business and logical sense, wait till a month of profits can cover it. That's uh, my opinion. Uh, RD Leatherwork says, well, RD Workshop, let's get it right. Another question, in handmade leather products, what are the points that take a product from top quality to B grade? Ooh, stamping it with terms like real leather or genuine leather, when that kind of should be implied by the cost of it. Uh, unfinished edges where no effort has been made on it. Uh, using kind of like really gaudy colors where no thought has gone into the design or the way the product looks. Uh, and it's not meant to be quirky. It's taken itself seriously, but it's just too wacky. It's very difficult to describe, but there's some things you just look at it and go, no. And there's something that I've made myself and I've experimented with different colors and shapes and designs. And in your mind it works and then you make it and you're like, no, I, I can't even describe what it is. I just don't like it. So, you know, what makes something B grade when no thought has gone into the design and it's just a showcase of, showcase of techniques. I think that's another absolute sin in Leathercraft is when it's just, uh, it's just a, a showcase of how well the, it was stitched, how well it was edge, fi edge finished and things like that, but just no thought has gone into the design. It either looks overly basic or it just, there's nothing, nothing nice about it. It's, it's kind of difficult, difficult to explain, but I think when you can see a product and you think a lot of thought has gone into that design, there's a reason it's shaped that way. Um, you know, then, then it really shows an A-grade product. Uh, but you know, the usual sins of something that's badly stitched, badly cut, doesn't fit well, too many creases in the corners and things like that. But uh, I, th I think to really make something A-grade, you have to think about the design and the reason uh, why it's made the way it's made. So, and, and another thing, for example, reaching over like something like this, all right? So I recently made this for a course. A lot of you on Instagram probably already know this is the Terrain Luxury Handbag. 
This was made to the golden ratio. That's actually something I haven't mentioned before. If you don't know what the golden ratio is, I'll probably make a hash of explaining it, but it's a mathematical uh, ratio that improves the way things look, even human faces. Uh, you'll see it in designs and sculptures. You'll see a lot in branding logos. For example, the Twitter logo uh, was made to the golden ratio and things like that. So it's, it brings a design together, but you wouldn't ordinarily be able to explain it. So I took my design and then adapted it to the golden ratio. That's another thing that makes something stand out where you go, love that. Can't explain why, but it just, it's just, it's just on point. So uh, art is art. Yes, I agree. <laughs> Uh, Rick S.A., you being an established leather craftsman yourself, what do you actually purchase leather item? Sorry, hold on one second. It's going too fast up there. Uh, when you actually purchase a leather item, what are the first things you pay special attention to? When I, I purchase a leather item? Uh, well, yeah, I don't have time to make anything. What's the last leather item that I purchased that I didn't make myself? Uh, probably uh, I bought some um, Master and Dynamic headphones, which were leather wrapped around the top and around the sides with leather on the interior and things like that. What do I look for? Uh, neat stitching, nicely finished edges, design, aesthetics, uh, usually the usual suspects really. But um, yeah, I, I honestly, I rarely buy things uh, myself. Okay, so. Uh, RD Workshop says, recap for everyone. Oh, you're, okay, so you're recapping what I've just said for everyone. This, this will be on IGTV as well, just to let you know, guys. Um, so it's not dead after the live is done. That's the old Instagram model where it was live for 24 hours and then it goes. It's now permanently on Instagram TV and it's also being recorded uh, for you guys on YouTube as well. Right, so where are we? You know what I should do? I should actually cross these off because I keep going, which one have I done? All right, so third one, how are we doing for time? Oh, we are 19 minutes in, okay. So the third question is creating your patterns and how to know if it will work. Creating patterns and how to know if it will work. All right, so the, the short answer is you don't. That's, uh, <laughs> you, you're not Nostradamus. Uh, you won't be able to accurately portray what is in your mind and the outcome it will have in actual physical, tangible form in real life made from leather. It's, you're never gonna have it. Um, so it's just a matter of minimizing the interruption between what you envision and what you create and getting there with the least amount of failures possible or alterations in your second, third or fourth rendition of it or your prototype. So the, the short answer to that is, is you don't, but the medium answer to that is you don't know if you t until you try and you have to try. So when you, let's say Gucci, for example. So you go to the Gucci research and development department, you go to their design studio, you go to their prototyping studio. Uh, you, what you won't see is someone comes up with an idea, sketches it out, hands it to a pattern maker, they make a pattern, they hand it to the people who make the bags themselves in their atelier or factory or whatever you want to call it there. And, uh, and they make the bag and they're like, right, that looks great, put it to market, send it out, ship it doesn't work like that. What you'll see 
is multiple different prototypes over a period of time. So they'll come up with their first edition, then a panel of individuals will look at it and go, I like this, I don't like this, this sticks out too much, that, that idea didn't work, I see what you're doing with it, but we need to change the measurements on this. The gusset's too long, it's course increasing in the corners when you lift the bag, I don't like the way it drapes. And then they'll keep refining it and eventually send it out to individuals who will then test it and live with it for a few weeks. Then they'll come back with their feedback. What did you like? What didn't you like? There's a huge process that goes into making a bag, coming up with an idea, and then that brand gets it to market. Now, individual artisans and many people out there assume that that is something that they can avoid doing, that they can avoid having to make a first edition prototype a second prototype and then come up with a complete bag. Now that might be something you can do if it's a very, very basic design. But when you start getting something a little bit more complex, it takes a lot of experience to start reducing the number of prototypes that you have to do. After a while, you begin to get an eye for it. And you, you know, but in, in the initial stages, when I first started making bags, I'd make one and then I would look at it and then pick it apart with a uh, very, very critical eye, which I'm very critical of myself, which some of you may have figured out. But <laughs> I look at it very objectively and go, what I like, what I don't like, what could change, what could be improved, what could make the process more efficient, what processes did I do that I didn't have to, what did I not do that I should have done, and then I could have two, three, four, five or more pages with tons and tons of notes of what I'm gonna do on the next one. And then after a while, the amount of changes on your ideas and designs, all the things that you would change about it become less and less and less. So that is an experienced thing. So going back to your original question, creating your patterns and how to know if it will work, the only way you're gonna find out if it works is if you actually do it. And then once you've done it, don't expect it to be perfect, it never will be, and then start refining, start refining. There's a Japanese word for that. What is it now? Uh, ah, it's like constantly improving, 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 until you get to the point where you just can't improve something anymore. Uh, that is the, uh, someone will remind me. Okay, so Daiscar leather, Daiscar leather, sorry, two millimeter ether foam. I think that might be an auto-correction for EVA foam for pattern checking. Learn that one off the courses. It's genius. Thank you very much. Uh, thoughts on selling a prototype? I'd rather you use the prototype because if it doesn't work, the person who paid for it is going to find out. Uh, whether you think that's fair or not, I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> Kaizen, yes. <laughs> the Japanese word for incremental perfection. Uh, I think it was done for the business world, anyway. Uh, R&D workshop, having a critical eye, do you think you would buy the products you make yourself? I would never buy my products. Uh, uh, I steal them. <laughs> would I buy my own products? Uh, well, I wouldn't buy a handbag uh, unless it was for someone, but um, the Havilland travel bag, absolutely love it personally, and I get to use it. It's one of the few that I do use regularly. Uh, yeah, I would. I, d I don't think uh, I don't think I would. I would be very good at creating a product that I just didn't like or didn't get on with or detested. I don't think I've, I would ever do a course either 
on something that I just absolutely hated, but everyone kept asking for it, so I did it. I wouldn't do that. I would, I would do something that I would believe in. I always keep an open mind, so I actually like a lot of things, but I, I don't feel like it's a good idea to create products that you wouldn't enjoy using yourself and therefore buy. Um, so that's my answer to that. Okay, so blank slate binary, I think... A leather duffel is my ultimate goal for bags. Yeah, you just, there's something about a big leather bag that's just, you know, especially one that you can have for decades, hand down to your kids or whatever, and really nicely made leather duffel. It says a lot as well, I think, when, I, when you go traveling and you've got a really nice bag. Um, you know, when I was younger, I used to travel with like nylon bags and things like that. And it's, it's night and day when you travel with something that's really nice, uh, it's an absolute pleasure. I think it makes a difference. Okay, so creating patterns and how to know if it will work. Uh, you will need to start by actually doing it to know that it will work. Uh, unfortunately, you can't know before you start. So, uh, how to present, oh, sorry, no, uh, how to prevent, should try reading my own writing, huh? how to prevent your hands or fingers from hurting when hand sewing for long periods of time. How to prevent hands and fingers from hurting when sewing for long periods of time. So some of you may have had it where uh, you, you've been hand stitching, say you're stitching a belt and it's a raised belt um, and you're stitching around the entire perimeter, it's over a thousand stitches, very easily over a thousand stitches, even with a larger iron. Uh, and after a while you notice your hands are starting to hurt. Now that can be a bit of a problem as you're pulling the stitches tight because you want to maintain a consistent tension all the time. Otherwise your stitching is going to look slightly different and you want that consistency in everything that you do to create a really fine product. So I would recommend either stitching more often, which is going to build up calluses. I mean, I can't really say that the sides of my little finger here, which is where I pull the thread tight, uh, are especially calloused. They're maybe a little thicker than normal than the second finger, but I think after a while you do get used to it, so it might be uh, either you're stitching a product that requires a lot of stitches, and in that case, I'd recommend these. Uh, I've rarely cracked these out, to be honest. I think I did for the trunk handle I did, which is about 13 or 14 millimeters of vegetable tan leather with thick thread, and you're, you're really pulling on that. This is, and for those of you on a podcast, this is a little tube, it looks like a thimble, of leather and this is chrome tan pigskin and it is stitched on one side and it's stitched very tightly so that I can actually pull it down like a little hood over my little finger and you can see the end of my finger coming through there so it looks like a fingerless glove almost and that sits on there nice and tight so as I'm pulling those stitches in you know when I'm doing 300 stitches and each one gets pulled really tight it protects my little finger from the tension. All right, so the next question is, the proper way to hand sew canvas to leather? I've got two or three of these, but not from the same person. Uh, also stated, I love your podcast. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> so the proper way to hand sew canvas to leather. Canvas, uh, stitching canvas to leather uh, is very similar to the way you would stitch any uh, material to leather. It has a weave, uh, so there's certain things that you have to think about. But I must say, I think uh, leather and canvas 
is a match made in heaven, really. It's a bit like uh, leather and brass, uh, you know, and things like peas and carrots, uh, whatever you want to say. But there's leather and canvas are really, really good together because they both have more of a natural look. Uh, canvas, I think, looks a bit more natural than a lot of different um, materials. But there's, there's something very traditional about that. I guess that's maybe the appeal. But it also adds a certain lightness to a lot of leather goods and bags and things. If anyone's ever seen the Birkin, which is half leather and half canvas, it really, really works well when you think it might not, but it just does. Uh, and it adds a bit more of a casual look to your leather goods without being over casual, but it adds more of a relaxed appeal to it. So I think leather and canvas, it's just uh, even just an off-white canvas is probably the best and a natural colored leather. I think that works really well. But your question is about how to stitch them together. Uh, there are two main ways that you can stitch leather to canvas. Uh, the most common method is gonna be a turned edge. So like you would skive the edge of your leather, if you're looking at a cross section of leather here, you'd skive the edge of your leather so it's thinner here than it is here, and you'd fold it over and stitch it, where you simply place your canvas, I'm assuming your lining, fold it over and then you can stitch through it. Now you are severing the fibers with your awl blade or your uh, pricking iron, but because you've glued it on both sides and you've got the pressure of the stitches pulling on the leather and sandwiching it, you don't get any laddering from that or it's unlikely. The second way is going to be where you have, say for example, an edge painted finish, so you don't skive it, just edge painted on the end or burnished, and you've creased and pricked all the way through your leather. Then you take your canvas, fold your canvas over, so the canvas is now the turned edge, and the edge of the canvas, the raw edge, the live edge is on the inside, and then you stitch through, but without an awl. So you don't need to use an awl because you can push easily the needle through the canvas, through the hole that you made with your pricking iron, and then stitch as normal. If you find it difficult to find the hole from the canvas side going through to the leather, you can get a round awl, so a non-bladed awl, a round awl, um, which is like a big needle with a handle really, and then you push it through the hole you made with your pricking iron, it will pierce through the canvas so you'll see where it needs to go and as you pull it out you push your needle through and you stitch like that so you don't use a bladed awl because you will sever the fibers in the canvas and you'll get laddering laddering so you'll you'll see unraveling below the slit line okay so uh just looking at the comments there how are we doing for time just double checking good we're okay so the proper way to hand sew canvas to leather so those are my two recommendations so you either turn the edge of the canvas so there's no raw edge it's just turned or you turn the edge of the leather and put the canvas in between so those are my recommendations another way would be edge binding um, there's just so many different ways that you could do it really. Tips on being unique. So next question. Tips on being unique now that there are so many leather crafters out there. So how can you stand out from the crowd? How can you clear through the fog so your potential customers can see that you exist in the first place? That's a very, very uh, challenging one. Now, I did recently do a blog post, which you may find very interesting, uh, which is all about how to market your leather goods, especially on Instagram and social media, specifically that. Uh, so if you head over to leathercraftmasterclass.com, click on the blog and the latest post 
you'll see an image of Where's Wally, <laughs> which is uh, just an illustration of how it can be sometimes when you're trying to market your leather goods, but so many other people are making the same things as you. How can you be unique? How can you stand out? Well, it's more that your products need to be unique and your products need to stand out and the way that you communicate about them. But if you're looking at what everybody else is doing, try not to follow that crowd too much and do things that not everybody is willing to do. Not everybody is willing to get on camera and talk about what they do, which I think is a very powerful tool in 2020 and moving into 2021. It's a very powerful tool in the way that you communicate with people, the way you build trust with your clients, the way you get to talk about your passion in a way that inspires people to wanna to buy what you're talking about. Uh, I think video is very underutilized, still very underutilized. Um, you know, a lot of people feel nervous about getting on camera. I think that's completely natural. Um, you know, when I first started doing this, I was always nervous getting on camera, doing lives and things. I remember my first live I ever did. I've said this story a few times, so apology if you've heard it. First live I ever did, I, did, I didn't realize that you could stop it. I don't know why. Um, and it was an hour long and about two minutes in, I was stitching uh, the interior of a laptop briefcase. So the interior uh, partition, the divider, and I was stitching a binding over the top of it. I ruined it, I had to throw it away. But I, because I was trying to read comments as I was stitching, I didn't realize my finger was in the wrong place and I pushed it through and hit bone on the other side. And, uh, you know, you probably know I like sharp tools. I like sharp awls. I didn't know. I didn't feel it. It was that sharp. And uh, I started just leaking everywhere. And the entire time I was trying to hide, I just kept wiping my jeans with my hand at this live. And I knew I'm going to have to throw this away because it's covered in blood. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a terrible, terrible, bad situation. Uh, it was embarrassing. I was just like, I hope no one can see the, just the red claret. It looks like I spilled a bottle of wine down the side of my leg. It looked like a murder scene by the end of it, but no one noticed, luckily. And I just carried on talking and stitching meaninglessly because I had to throw it away. It was junk. And uh, so, uh, and I'm still doing lives, as you can see. So if the worst happens, it really doesn't matter. You just cancel the live. You can do that. I realize now it's, it's the thing that says end in the corner of the screen and few people would have seen it. Don't worry about it. You just don't save it. If the worst happens, it doesn't matter. And if people aren't interested, they probably won't be to begin with. You have to build up traction. You have to build up trust. You have to make it, you know, you have to you'll allow your personality to come out and it will, but you have to start like anything like Leathercraft. In order to get great, you would have had to be good. In order to be good, you would have to be okay. In order to be okay, you'd need to be terrible. In order to be terrible, you first have to try. But you cannot go from try to great. You have to do the bit in between. It's a bit of a shit sandwich sometimes, but sometimes when you want something and you wanna stand out from the crowd and do things that are different, you have to start by building yourself up. And I think video is very, very underrated. Now, another thing that I will also say, as I have time, is focusing on what is popular right now, okay? So what's popular right now during COVID-19? Well, probably not wallets because people are hibernating them, but as, as everyone is, everyone's worried about that. So I don't think the, the wallet market is doing as good as it will do after COVID or has done before COVID. But one thing I have noticed by complete accident, I wanted to buy another laptop.
The one I wanted was not only about 50% more than it was a year ago, but it was out of stock everywhere. And looking around on the internet, this might be different from country to country, I've noticed that it's so difficult to get the laptops you want. Everything's selling out. There's so many, it's like last one in stock. No, we don't have that in stock. Do you have this one? No, we don't. We don't know when it's gonna come back in, maybe early next year and all that kind of thing. So one thing you know, laptops are really selling. Why? Because everybody's at home. So tech is going through the roof, laptops and probably many other different things. So I would imagine that if you started making laptop briefcases, laptop folio cases, laptop slips, anything to do with that, well, there's a bigger market for it now than there was a year ago. And there are so many different things like that. So while a lot of people are conserving funds in some areas of their life, they're spending a crazy amount in other areas of life. So what can you create to complement the things that everyone's buying at the moment that's gonna make you stand out? So if you start making things that everybody else is making at a time when everyone's buying, everyone's attention is somewhere else, you need to focus on where that attention is going, what's popular, what's trending, and as leather crafters, sometimes we focus on timeless style and things that last and, and that's all well and great. But we also need to keep an eye on trends. If you're looking to sell, if you're a hobbyist, ignore this. But if you're looking to sell to fund your hobby or if you're looking to sell to make extra income or profit or as a full-time business, you always have to focus on what's happening right now. What are people actually buying and what can I make to help them? So it's all about the, the value that you can give or that you can provide to them. Uh, table mats, someone says. Yeah, possibly. Maybe people are eating more at home than they uh, were at restaurants. Uh, someone else is also saying, I'm planning exactly, I plan exactly an unusual laptop bag. Happy to hear that, good. So tips for standing out. All right, two more questions to go. We should have enough time. So next question is advice on how to survive. Well, this is very linked to the other question. I didn't realize uh, I didn't pick up on that. Advice on how to survive as an artisan during this time. Okay, so we'll, we'll extend on that a little bit more. Uh, Northlift Belt says, I'm literally doing curls right now listening to this. <laughs> Keep that pump going, son. One more rep. So uh, advice. The question is advice or asking for advice on how to survive as an artisan during this time. So what is this time? What's going on? Well, it's COVID-19, coronavirus. And a lot of people are not buying things that they don't seem uh, deem as essential necessarily or things that they would ordinarily buy they're not buying at the moment. And some, for some people, not others, it really depends on the products that you make. But for some people, they've noticed a drop in sales on their leather products, okay? And that's natural because everyone's worried about the economy, the way things are going. So that could be something that concerns people. But I will say when coronavirus uh, ends, I mean, I've talked to a few restaurants, we're in lockdown again, but some people were earning so much profit-wise. I know I was eating out way more than I normally do uh, when the restrictions were lifted. So, you know, for a lot of people, I think you're gonna see a big influx in sales when people come through this. There might be a lot of people that didn't realize it didn't affect them that much. Now they've got disposable income. So that's just something else to think about. But I think how to survive as an artisan during this time, again, it's gonna come down to unique products that people are buying. Um, 
what are people buying right now? Okay, so you specified during this time we're talking about COVID. What about things that you could make? So pouches for masks, for example. So if you made an oversized pencil case, or perhaps a pencil case might even fit a mask in there with a zip over the top, and you put that in and you close it, and it's marketed as, and you stamp it perhaps, as a mask pouch. Because I know myself, I've got um, you know masks in the car, under the car seat, down the side, and I keep finding them, throwing them away, or the disposable ones, or recycling them rather. Um, you know, it's it, <laughs> taking my own advice. I probably should have something where I can stick them in there that looks good, that I could put in the glove compartment, that I could probably put in my coat pocket, something would fit in there. Something classy, something classic. And you know, you could make it for a pouch for gloves. Uh, everyone's buying hand sanitizer right now. I don't know about you, but you know, I've, I've bent over to pick something up before with a little bottle of hand sanitizer, and the top explodes. What happens if I had something with a lid on it that would keep it shut? It's just something to think about because right now, these will be useful products for people to keep themselves organized. What about a COVID kit where you've got a two-sided piece with a, with a zip that goes all the way around you, undo it, you've got your masks in one side, you've got your hand sanitizer, you've got your gloves, you've got an advice pamphlet or something that you could have picked up from uh, you know, a government organization that you could slip in there. There's all sorts of things. And one thing, that, and this is just an idea, be careful how you use this because if you make claims that are false, you can get in a lot of trouble. So I will say that as a disclaimer, but no one's really picked up on the antibacterial properties of vegetable tan leather. Vegetable tan leather uses tannins, which are known to kill bacteria and viruses. And just a, a very, before I started this on my phone, just a very quick look online, there are actually uh, scientific studies stating the benefits of tannins and killing bacteria with a little bit more research. If you can find something, some concrete evidence or scientific studies that can back up the claim that vegetable tan leather is antibacterial, you can say that your products are and you made using antibacterial leather. Okay, because that's exactly what it does. If it has those properties, it can be claimed that way. Now you have to be very careful because this is, we're talking about health here, anything to do with health, finances, or any kind of like claims like that, you've got to be very, very careful with. But if you have, if you can cite studies that show it's antibacterial, but you have to be very careful that you don't say that it's been shown to kill COVID-19 viruses or anything like that. So, but it should be something that people should consider using because people are going to respond to that. I know I would. If I see some, you know, right now, we've all become germaphobes, I think. <laughs> because I, when I'm out, when I'm shopping, the last thing I want to do is put my hands near my, my face. It wasn't really something I would do before. I, mean, I wouldn't really think about it. But now I go to scratch the side of my head and I'm like, oh, no, don't do that. So we're all very conscious of germs and bacteria and things like that. You know, it's because it's constantly in our heads because we've, we've lived a long time through this now. So I think we really... If you really want to survive during this time, make products that people want. Make useful products. Tell them about your products. Talk about the benefits. You could even sell a balm on the side with uh, beeswax and cedarwood oil. Cedarwood oil is really antibacterial, antifungal properties. And you could sell it as a secondary product to keep topping up the antibacterial properties of your leather. 
you know, you, you, you have to think about these things and what people want. If I saw a product like that, that was like antibacterial, store all your stuff in something that looks kick-ass, all in one place. So that you, you know, and then talk about, we've all had it where you've got masks all over the car. When you want to find one, you forget where it is. Uh, you know, and, and you know, you keep running out of hand sanitizer because you've put it in the wrong place. It's a solution to a problem. And if you want to survive as a leather crafter, you need to be focusing on making things that are going to be useful at this time. So uh, that would be my advice. Uh, Panda Leatherworks says, uh, tannins are also used in wine. I guess I need to drink more to stay healthy. <laughs> yeah, and tea. So there you go, it's tannins and tea. I've always wondered if you could make, if you could tan leather with tea. I don't see why not. I think uh, it's been done with uh, grape must before uh, because of the tannins in grapes, but hey, whatever. Okay, so, uh, and last question. So let's get one more question in. Have we got time? Yeah, we have. The last question today is leathercraft business. Is it better to focus on one product or several? So this is a, a, a la, the last question that we have, and it's about business. Is it better to start a business focusing on an individual product or lots of products at once? So dump a load of products onto the market or just showcase one. Here's my opinion on that. Um, one product, and the reason I say that is it's better to start a brand where you build a reputation for something and then start your line extension and start giving them other complementary products or products within that category. Uh, I saw someone recently starting to make um, uh, leather strops uh, and then they came out with a little pouch that you can put your uh, straight razor in. Uh, and then, but you could extend that even further and then make a shaving kit to go with that. But the, the hero product should be the one that you come out with first that you get a reputation for. So like a, a leather strop, for example. Um, so many different examples from that. But I mean, if you, if you look at brands, uh, Hermes, their hero product, their original product, the product they're known for was saddles and they still make saddles now. That's their hero product. That's the, the top of the range apex predator product they're known for that's what they put out and now you can buy Birkin bags and accessories and things like that uh, if you look at Dunhill their original product was pipes and then they started making cases for their luxury pipes and then they started on a leather craft journey and then they started getting into tailoring and started getting into bags and cases and all sorts of things now they're in aftershaves and perfumes and things like that if you look at Louis Vuitton for example then they started out making with their hero product was trunks so they started with trunks. They got known for being famous for trunks, selling to kings and queens and all the aristocracy in Paris. And now they're making Louis Vuitton toilet paper. You know, they've <laughs> extended it over a long period of time. But if you can get a reputation for being really good at one thing, really good at a specific niche product, then you can start building on top of that and adding more products uh, that can then complement that, that style, that area, that niche, whatever you're involved in. So. I think should you come out with a lot of product, some people have been successful doing that. So just because I'm saying it doesn't make it right, it's just my opinion on it. Some people have been very successful putting out several different types of product and some people are more uh, successful overall at building a good reputation for being the best at something and then building on that reputation. Then that reputation can be your 
non-tangible asset which really pushes the rest of your product. So that would be my answer to the last one. So quick question. Leather Confectionery says, searching for brass hardware for Sam Brown belts. I'm unable to locate the essential three components for the belts as suggestions for high-end brass belt hardware. Um, have you checked out Abbey England? Uh, A-B-B-E-Y England. Uh, I think they have an Instagram account, but they've got a website, obviously. They sell a lot of hardware on there. Blank Slate Bindery says, Supreme even has their name on sandwich bags now. I don't get it. <laughs> it's, it's irony. It's Supreme uh, are having fun. And people who believe in that philosophy of just being ridiculous for the hell of it, for, for irony, buy into that brand and they'll buy Supreme sandwich bags and things like that because it's hilarious, because it's just laughing in the face of conventional wisdom and, and thought when it comes to fashion and accessories. And they've done very, very well at it. So, um, yeah, as long as their customers understand it, that's the main thing. <laughs> I'm going to assume you're not a, a Supreme. Stephen K. Gavin, how you doing, buddy? Didn't you come out with a question on the forum recently, seeing the time we have here, uh, about Sam Brown Belt? Maybe you can DM Leather Confectionery, unless Abbey England was your recommendation as well. Okay. Uh, Stephen K. Gavin says they've got a section just for Sam Brown Belts. Uh, is it suitable to use synthetic leather for bag linings? Uh, I personally wouldn't. Uh, if you're going to go leather, go leather. If you're going to go synthetic, go synthetic. Uh, I think consistency uh, within your brand is going to be uh, uh, a bit more powerful in that sense. Okay, so thank you for joining me, guys. I got like something, a ridiculous number of questions. Last time it was 126. This time I think it was almost just under 150 questions. I couldn't put them all on Instagram and I obviously definitely can't answer them. It's taken me this long to get through eight, but they were repeat questions, popular questions. And I'm gonna be doing this every month now. So if you do have any burning questions, wait till you see me on Instagram and the stories asking for your burning questions and then make sure you get them in so that I can then add them to the list and then go through these questions for you. So if you enjoyed this, Make sure you follow me on Instagram for those on YouTube. If you're on YouTube, go and follow me on, if you're on Instagram, go and follow me on YouTube. Get it right, Phil. Uh, and so you can see a lot more content because there's stuff on YouTube that's not on Instagram and there's stuff on Instagram that's not on YouTube. Best platform for the best videos. So it all varies. So don't forget to follow me. Don't forget to subscribe. But thank you very much. If you want more information, click the link in bio on Instagram or click the link in the description below. Thank you very much, good night, and I will see you in the next video. Thanks for watching.